The Bible doesn't tell us what time of the year that this story occurred. Don't know it for certain, but I just have a feeling because of the way the scripture works and some of the things that it talks about. I suspect it was in the springtime or maybe possibly early summer, but, but no later than early summer. Because back in those days, armies would get together to do battle and they would always get to to, together to do battle after the winter weather, after the rains, after... It's very hard to have a battle when you're trudging through mud or you're trudging through snow. They waited until all of that passed in order to go to battle. In fact, 2 uh, Samuel puts it rather poetically and says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to do battle. I mean, think about what that sentence says. In the spring of the year, when kings get ready to go out to do battle. It's every year that, you know, they're sitting around in the middle of December going, well, let's get ready. You know what we do in the springtime? We do this every year. We're going to go out. We're going to whoop ourselves, somebody. That's the idea behind it every year in the spring of the year. So I suspect the story happened in the spring of the year. And the story is told, God's already chosen David to be the king of Israel, but David's still a very young kid. Time isn't right for him to take over as king. Saul is still the king, but the Bible tells us that the Spirit of the Lord has turned away from Saul. So Saul's sort of on his own right now. In fact, Saul gets tormented by evil spirits every now and then. So that's the setup to the story. You're going to know what we're talking about, but listen to it. I want you to use your imaginations a little bit as we go through this story. I want you to see it. I want you to taste it. I want you to feel it. I want you to think you were there when it happened. I wanted all of that to happen in your minds this morning. Maybe you've camped out in the springtime. I know I have. We used to go backpacking in uh, when we had school holidays and work holidays earlier in the year. And it's that time of the year when it's not so cold that you wake up and you've got to have a jacket on or something like that. It's that time of year that you wake up that, that you've got that little bit of cold on the end of your nose and that little bit of cold on the edge of your ear and it's enough cold that it wakes you up when you wake up but not so cold that you go, oh, I want to get something to cover up. It's just that little cold, you know? And so that's the kind of morning that it is uh, the kind of morning that is where these guys are. And they're in a place where there's a bunch of different people there. So some have woken up uh, before you got up and they've already started their fires or maybe their fire smoldered from the night before a little bit. And you wake up and you know when you're camping and you get that little smell of the fire. Maybe they're already cooking out over an open fire. You know, that when I was a kid, that was our thing. We thought it was cool that mom would give us a frying pan that we could absolutely destroy. And we would go out and take some eggs and bacon and have this flaming fire and we'd have these charred pieces of pork and these eggs that looked sort of blackish and thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And you smell it. You know what I'm talking about. You've been there. And you smell those smells. That's what was happening on this morning. It was a morning just like that. Everybody was up. Everybody had eaten their breakfast already. They'd got themselves fed and ready to go out and do battle. They'd put their clothes on. They'd put their armor on like they had done every day for the last several days. And the men of Israel marched into the valley to get ready to fight. They marched like they did every other day, went to their normal place. I can see it in my mind. There's hills all around. 
Israel's over here and they're camped on these hills. The Philistines are over here, they're camped on these hills. And in the middle, there's this big valley. And the Israelites come down the hills and they march out in the valley to the place where they've stopped. You probably could look once they came off the field and see where the grass had been stomped down. And they went to that place and they stopped. And then they'd start screaming and start yelling and making as much noise as they could to make themselves sound like they were mighty men ready to do battle. Come on, y'all. Come, come on out and fight us. We're ready to get you. But it's sort of like a football team in the end zone, you know, in the fall. You know how the football teams do? They get together on the, in their end zone, and they put their hands together, and the coach is out there, and they're all, and then you're, and then they go, and the cheerleaders hold up their little big thingamabob that the guys go running through. Yeah, it's got a technical name. It's a thingamabob. The guys go running through it, and the bands play, and everybody, yeah, we're going to win, that's what the Israelites did, but there was a problem, see, because in order to have a fight, and all of us who are married know this, in order to have a fight, it takes two people. It's not fun to fight alone. So if you're spoiling for a fight, you've got to pick, pick on somebody to get it going, you know, that's the deal. And these guys wanted to fight, and there's the Philistines on the other side. And you know what they're doing? They're eating, and they're putting on their arm, and they walk out onto the field. And they get on the field where the grass had been stomped down the day before and they stop because y'all remember from watching television and the History Channel that they didn't fight like they fight now where we have guns and it's guerrilla warfare and behind buildings and all that stuff. You had one row of the army on this side, a row of the army on the other side, 30 to 40 yards away from each other, facing each other, and then eventually they would clash and they would fight. And the Philistines were doing the same thing on their side. Yeah! Come on, yeah! And you got in this valley, all this noise going on. But then this weird thing happens. The Philistine line that's running all the way across the valley, the Philistine line opens up. And a guy walks through that line that is nine feet, nine inches tall. That's what the earliest manuscripts say. Some of the... Some of the Bible manuscripts you might read, yours will say it was six foot six, but it's a little gloss. The, the original text says nine foot nine. This guy comes walking out. His armor weighed 126 pounds, just his armor. He's nine foot nine. I mean, come on, really? 126 pounds of armor. His spearhead the head of his spear weighed 16 pounds, which meant his whole spear probably weighed about 30 pounds. Well, let me help you understand something, because y'all all know this, but let me remind you. You don't carry something to fight with somebody if you can't use it, right? So you're not going to carry a 30-pound spear to do battle with somebody if to pick it up you've got to go, uh-uh. He's got a 30-pound spear that he picks up, spins around on his finger like the basketball players do, and says, come on, let me show you how this works. He is Middle Eastern. You've seen this, and I, I say these words in particular because I want you to feel that fear. Have you seen the ISIS videos and the curved blade they use? That is not brand new. That's been around for thousands of years. It's called a scimitar. It's the blade of choice for Middle Eastern people. 
And he would have had this giant scimitar strapped to the front of his uh, armor so he could grab it right quick and hurt somebody. And here he is walking out and he starts yelling at the, uh, he starts yelling at the Israelites. And I can hear him yelling. The Bible's got its words, but we're going to use Randy's paraphrase this morning. He's standing there and he's going, why are you wimps out here? Am I not a Philistine and you're the servants of Saul? i tell you what let's do. i got a plan. You send one of your guys out to fight me. And if he wins, we'll lay down all of our armor. We'll lay down all of our stuff. We'll be your slaves. Our children and our wives will be your slaves and your concubines. Send somebody out. Oh, and here's the deal. If he can beat me, we'll do the same thing. We'll lay down all of our armor. There won't be a fight out here. Just me and him, mano a mano, right here in front of everybody. You'll all be able to see how this thing ends. Bring it on. Bring it on. And it worked really good. The Israelites were terrified. The the Bible says that they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Dismayed. You know what that means? That means that everybody stood together going, what are we going to do, Frankie? What are we going to do? How are we going to beat this? Terry, 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 you think you can go out there and fight him? Huh? What do you think? Where's Matt McCarty? He's a pretty big guy. Matt, let's get you out there. Let's, Let's let you go. I bet you could do it, dude. You're the man. You're the man. You're the man. And that's what, that really is what started happening among all of these guys. They were dismayed and greatly afraid so that all they do is stand there on their side until dark and at dark they go back to their tents next morning they're ready for battle they come out and Goliath comes out again back home dad's back home wondering how the how the battle's going he's got three sons that's uh, that's doing battle he thinks he has three sons with the Israelite army. He's got a younger son named David who is keeping the, she- the sheep. Now, David was a teenager at this point. He's already, been anointed, uh, he's already been anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel, but the time's not right. The Bible describes David at this point as being a kid. doesn't put it in these words, but that's what I see in my mind when I read it. He's not really shaving yet. You know? You know the guys that... That it's starting to grow out a little, little bit, and, and we do this. I mean, we do. You know we do this. You stand in front of the mirror going, yeah, there's another one. <laughs> yeah, I got six. Look at me. I am the man. I am something. That's where he was. He was old enough that he's starting to get some hair on his face, not old enough to shave. It says that he was fair-complected. It said that he was a handsome boy. He was old enough that his dad could send him on a journey and and feel confident that he was going to be all right, but he wasn't really old enough to go out into battle. So his daddy calls him up and he says, look, son, I want to know what's going on out here. I want to see that your brothers are all right. So take them some food because they didn't have supply chains like we got, no, no logistics, no UPS, no people to take food out to these places. Take some food out to your brothers. Take a gift to the commander. And then I want you to bring me something back from the boys to let me know that they're not dead, okay? And David says, okay, I'll do that. So he takes half of a bushel of roasted grain and a bunch of bread because that's what they ate. 
You know, we get tired of eating the same thing over and over. I can imagine these guys were ready to croak because this is what they had to eat. It was their main staple. And their gift to the commander was 10 slices of cheese. Now, I don't know how you would feel if somebody brought you 10 slices of cheese. Here you go. But for the commander, this is a big deal. He's going to get 10 slices of cheese. So David starts out. He takes a couple of guys with him to help him carry everything. He gets out to where the battle is going on, and he hears all this commotion going on. So he gives all of his stuff to his guys, and he races out to the line to find out what's going on. And here's Goliath shouting, and all these Israelites are walking around like whipped puppies. And it aggravates David. All the Israelite men are talking amongst themselves, saying, you know, whoever beats this guy, yeah, the king is going to make him rich. He's going to give him his daughter to marry, and then he'll be like royalty, and they won't have to pay taxes, and everybody's going to take care of him. And I mean, he'll be somebody special. Don't you want to do it? Kenneth, don't you think it'd be great, man, to be like married to the king's daughter? Isn't this the greatest thing going? And Kenneth's going, well, if it's so great, why don't you do it? And that's the way these guys are doing. That's the way this is portrayed. All of these guys are walking around and saying, don't you think that'd be great? Why don't you do that? And David overhears them talking about this, and he can't believe it. And he says, what is this? And they tell him the same thing. So David goes around asking this question. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Right off the bat, you can see there's a difference in the way people are looking at stuff. They're fighting for Saul. The Philistine says they're fighting for Saul. And David comes up and says, wait a minute. Who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Church walk around asking people that. And all the people keep saying the same thing. Same answer back to them. Well, you know, all we've got to have is one man and he'll get the king's daughter and he'll be royalty. That's all we've got to have. And David walks around basically saying to people, Who is this guy that you people are standing over here cowering like a bunch of wimps when God is on your side? What is your problem? Keep in mind, this story is so good, you got to go home and read it. Keep in mind that he's the youngest of three brothers. If you are the youngest, how many of you in here, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you want to, do. How many of you are the youngest child? The youngest child, okay? So you know how this young child thing works. You say something, and the older kid turns to you and says something very loving, very tender, very sweet. They look at you and they say, shut up. (laughs) Who asked you anything? You little weasel, go home. Go where you belong. And that's what his oldest brother does. His oldest brother turns to him and says, who do you think you are? Go home. And David looks at him, and you young guys know this, you first kids know this, turn to him and you just blow him off. It's it's just words. I don't know what I'm saying. What is your people's problem? And that's the way he operated. And so he's walking around asking all of these guys all over the place, what is your problem? And the word gets back to King Saul. King Saul hears that, that there's this guy walking around the camp making these comments to everybody and Saul wants to meet him so he goes up to talk to Saul and Saul and him talk for a minute David says listen let me help you let me help you understand who I am I'm just a shepherd boy that's all I am but I have killed bear with my bare hands I have killed lions with my bare hands this guy over here 
I mean, come on, God helped me kill those. You guys could go out and kill him. God is on our side. What is the deal? And Saul looks at him and says, you the man. That's right. You're going to go out and fight him. And David goes, I ain't got a problem with that. Let's go. Let's bring it on. So, David, so Saul says, okay, let's put some armor on him. He's never worn armor in his life. Remember, he hasn't shaved yet. When you, I mean, or, or probably hasn't shaved yet. And probably, you know, guys, y'all know how this works. Developmental thing. Before, as you're starting to grow up as a teenager, you start out, you're sort of gangly and you don't have shoulders very much. And as you get older, you know, you get the shoulders and you get the chest. And then you get my age and the chest falls and the shoulders go away. But you understand how it all works. So that young guy, so that's where David is. He's that narrow-shouldered guy. He don't have the bulk just yet. And they put all this armor on him. He goes, this is miserable. How is anybody fighting this? Listen, I have never had this before. I'm not going to have this now. Just let me go, and God and me are going to take care of the business for you, okay? Just let me go. So he goes out. So now you've got to remember, David's a shepherd. You've got to read the Bible close and listen to what's said in there, and you can start piecing little things together so you can see it in your mind's eye. He's a shepherd. 23rd Psalm. What comforts me? Thy rod and thy, that's what a shepherd carries. Well, the Bible doesn't say that, but I see David walking out with his rod and with his staff and with his sling tucked into his belt with a bag of five smooth stones like we all heard in Sunday school since we were two years old. And he's walking out with that. And the reason I think he says that is because Goliath says to him, Am I a dog that you come out here with sticks? Now, if he didn't have anything in his hands, why would Goliath say that? Sticks. The staff is what he used to comfort his sheep because if they started to fall or something, he could pull them back and he used that. The rod was his weapon. And it was built like a javelin kind of thing. He could throw it and hurt something. He could use it as a club. He could do all of that. So he's got all of this with him. That's his normal stuff. And he's got the sling with the five smooth stones in the bag. And Goliath says, am I a dog? You're going to bring sticks out here to fight me. Bring it on, dude. So pink-faced, don't shave much, cute little boy. And Goliath looks at him, and he says this to him. Come on, and I am going to give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Here's what I'm going to do to you, punk. You come on out here. I'm going to take your sticks. I'm going to break them into little bitty pieces. I'm going to take my spear. I'm going to run it through the middle of your gut, and I'm going to take my sword and chop you into little bit pieces and let you lay out here and have all the animals feed off of your body. He's nine feet, nine inches tall. I'm telling you, Barry, I'd be going, let me get back to you. Be just a minute. And then I'd go back to Daddy. David has been facing down giants his entire life. You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies 
of the host of Philistines. Now the nine foot nine guy says, I'm going to cut you to shreds and leave you for the dogs. The little guy that's never shaved says, I'm not only going to cut your head off, I'm going to take everybody out here and feed every one of them to the beast of the air, uh, to, the, to the birds of the air and the beast of the field, that they may know that there's a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord and he will give you into our hands. And man, it was on like popcorn then, I'm telling you. Because old Goliath hears all of this and he has just been taunted by this little punk that's got an unshaven face. He's sort of cute. Probably his mama still powders his little honey every morning because he's that young. And he's coming. Ah! You can hear him, can't you? Running across there. Ah! And here's David on his side. He lays down the staff. He lays down the, the, the rod. He takes out his slingshot. He takes one of the stones. He puts in the slingshot. Here's where the slow motion starts happening. You know, we're watching on television, right? And here's Goliath. He's running across. And as Goliath is running, you notice his armor sort of moves as he runs because that's what things do. You watch a football player playing football, you notice his shoulder pads jump a little bit. Helmet moves a little bit when he's running. That's what's going on with Goliath. On the other side, you see David pulling out, putting in the slingshot, starting to spin this thing around and around his head. And at just the right moment, he lets go of the one end of the sling and the stone flies across where just happens to happen something happens with the armor because he's wearing a helmet something happens and that stone finds its mark right between his eyes and it buries itself in his forehead it don't just hit him and hurt it buries itself in his forehead now listen this is where real life is a little bit different than television because in television you see somebody get shot and they just fall over dead that's not the way it works not everybody dies instantly when they are shot. Goliath gets hit in the head and I can see him stop cold in his tracks. And he looks at David and then he falls flat on his face. There is no cheering. Nobody on either side says a word. David runs out and takes the giant scimitar out from Goliath's belt. He raises it over his head he chops Goliath's head off. Now here's where the funny thing happened. Because Goliath had said, now, if we lose, if I lose, we'll lay down all of our stuff and we will be your slaves and our children will be your slaves, our wives will be your concubines, we'll give everything over to you. And instead, they turned and they ran as fast as they could. But the problem at this point was the problem at this point was, is now they had God chasing them. And I love the line, you can run, but you can't hide. And they ran. And the armies of the Israelites suddenly had courage because they saw they could win. They knew that God was on their side. And they chased the Philistines down. And they killed the Philistines. And they left their bodies laying all over the countryside so that the birds of the air and the beasts of the field could eat their bodies. Story of David and Goliath. 
Some of us that are as old as dirt have heard that story a million times. If you're in the children's department, you hear it just about once a year. It's a story that gets told over and over again. It's a real good story. Find it in 1 Samuel 17. If you're not a person that reads your Bible very often, go to 1 Samuel 17, go to blb.org, go to biblegateway.com or .org, I forget which one that is. Find some Bible app. Don't read it in the King James unless you are a King James person. Find you a good translation to read the English Standard Version's good. Any of those newer translations that put it sort of in English, read it and it reads like a really good story and listen to it because there's an excellent message in this story about the omnipotence of God. You see, Goliath taunts the Israelites as men. Remember? Followers of Saul. Goliath curses them in the name of his gods who are no gods at all and yet the Israelites are terrified of this man who is cursing them with gods that don't even exist. And David, on the other hand, he never says, I'm going to come out there and whoop you. He never says that at all. David says, God's got this. So when Goliath was talking, David wasn't insulted by what Goliath was saying. David was insulted because the people of God were cowering on their side of a field before an ungodly person. Why are you cowering before this heathen? David understood that this battle and every battle always belongs to the Lord. David understood that he wasn't going out to go do battle with Goliath. that God was going to go out to do battle with Goliath and David was merely the weapon he was going to use. That's the difference. He wasn't going out to do battle with Goliath. He was just obedient to go out there. God was going to use him as a weapon. It is understood in this story that David's choice of weapon, the speed with which he hurled the stone, the place on Goliath's body where the stone was able to find that one singular unprotected spot that none of that was done by David's skill but each and every step each and every movement was guided in David's heart and in his mind by an all-knowing ever-present all-powerful God David was thoroughly convinced David was thoroughly convinced that he was not walking into battle God was And he knew that if God was walking into battle, then the outcome of this thing is going to be good. It's going to work out the way God wants it to work out. God will be glorified in this thing. God is all-powerful. The battle belongs to him. Now, what does that mean to us? What does it mean to us that God is all-powerful? First, he wants what he wants to do through us, he can do. What he wants to do through us, he can do. There is no limit. There are no boundaries. There are no rules. Well, preacher, I don't know about so-and-so. We've done it that way a million times. Well, guess what? There are no rules. What God wants to do through us, God will do through us. Number two, nobody can stand against what God wants accomplished. Think about what that means in our society today. We get all shook up. Oh, they're removing the Ten Commandments in Oklahoma. Cool. Bring it on. Because this isn't my battle. 
This battle belongs to God. If he wants it, it will be. There is no one person, no one thing, nothing on this planet that can stand in his way. There is no evil. There is no trickery. There is no deception. There is nothing that can stop him. Period. Number three, since we are Christ followers, we have the spirit of the living God living in us. Our old nature is dead. A new nature is born in us. God is living in us. Whatever God calls us to do, we can do it exactly as he wants it done, exactly when he wants it done, exactly the way he wants it done to accomplish the very purpose that he wanted to have accomplished. If he wants it through us, it will be through us because he works through us just like he worked through David. God has not changed. Y'all remember that scripture, right? There is no shadow of turning. Song, oh, Barry, can't remember what it is. There is no shadow of turning in thee. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no changing. It's the way he operated then. It's the way he operates now. Here's the hard question. Who are we? Who are we? Are we convinced that this is true? Are we convinced that this is true? If we are convinced... Our fear of what is going to happen in this country goes away. The fear of what's going to happen in our lives starts melting away. Our actions take on new confidence because we realize that we're not doing battle, that God's doing the battle. We're instruments of his in the war. There are three types of people in this story, and there are three types of people in this room today. First, We can be like the Philistines, living apart from God, taunting God, thinking that we can do whatever our big bad selves want to do because we are big and bad and I can handle it all. People scare me when they say, make little cute comments because they're so big and they're so bad. Well, at least when I'm in hell, I'll be with people that I can get along with and I won't be with all those hypocrites. I got bad news for you, dude. You're with hypocrites everywhere you go and when you get to hell, it isn't not gonna be, it's not exactly going to be the fun place that you think it's going to be. Eternal separation from God doesn't sound cool. Removed from everything that is good and holy and just and fair and right and noble and honorable and loving... For eternity, yeah, you talk your big bad self. Let me help you understand something. One day you're going to meet Jesus face to face. You will bow before him when that day comes. And you will say that he is Lord. So take your big bad self on and see how big life really is when you get there. That's one of us. The second one of us is we are the Israelite army. We talk a good game at church. Yeah, dog, you know, we're walking around thumping our chest. Woo, we're going to do it. That's right. We're going to take on the world. And then somebody comes up while we're beating on our chest, telling everybody how great we are. Yeah, we are the church. I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? And somebody comes up and says, I'm going to take you Ten Commandments out of the lawn of the, of the courthouse and we all go, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then there's David. And David walks up and he says, listen, God says that he does this and this is what God does. 
Let's go watch him. We're confident that God has the power, has the knowledge, and has the presence to handle whatever happens in this day. We trust God to be who he says that he is. So the question, who are you? Which one are you? I'd love to say that I'm perfectly number three. And nobody in here perfectly number three. But we're on our way to believing that God will do what God says he will do for each and every one of us each and every day. We have a power living in us that is invincible. And that power says, I'll let you walk into battle, but I'll take care of the war. Let's pray. Father, I know there's a million questions going through some people's minds. Some people are just glad we're done. Other folks are sitting there going, yeah, but in my life, I've prayed, I've looked, I've said, and, and, and things just keep going all over the place. I pray that you strengthen us, Father, to remember that the battle is yours. And to not be so quick to find ways to do stuff, but to lean back for a minute. And realize that you will win. And we are called by your name. We have Jesus living inside of us. Help us to know what that means. Help us, Father, to know that you will win and that you will take us there in victory. Show us the way, Father. In Christ's name, amen. I didn't mean to quite get so carried away about the dying in hell thing, guys. But it is the truth. It does aggravate me to no end when people say stuff like that. It aggravates me when people talk about the church is full of hypocrites. You know what? Everywhere you go is full of hypocrites. I don't care where you are. You know, they'll say one thing and do something completely different. It is what life is all about. If you do not have Jesus in your heart, if you've never trusted him to be who he says he is, that he is your Lord and Savior and will take you to heaven when you die, and that he will kill the old self in you and make you into a new creation, if you've never accepted and trusted him, that's what makes us who we are. That's what changes us. That's what gives us hope for the future. That's what gives us the power to overcome. And I ask you this morning to accept that to believe that, to trust Christ, to save you and make you into a new creation. I'm going to have an invitation and I ask you to come forward. Let me know that. If you don't understand it all the way, but you just, something like Sheena said, something happened in her heart. You got that going on, let's talk. Let's talk. Let's see what Jesus is saying to you. Maybe you want to join the church. Maybe you need to pray. I know people in this room are going through all kinds of things. 
Stop and pray for a few minutes and let him talk to you and show you how you're going to be victorious, how he will be victorious through you. Let's stand.